Good morning, Lakeview Church. So good to be with you. So glad that you're here today. And it was so fun seeing Pastor Jared looking like that on that video. So big group, big group. Um, so you can just call them that from now on. Just call them big group. Um, so excited to be with you this morning and excited to share God's word with you. We're going to jump into a passage of scripture in just a few moments. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter four. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. And while you're doing that, I want to look right in that camera as I do every single week and just welcome those of you who are joining us online. We are so very glad that you've carved space out of your day to be with us. And whether you're watching this live in this moment or on demand sometime later, we are so glad that you're here. And I know everyone here in the room wants to say hello to you. So can we just welcome those who are joining us online? As I said, we're going to jump into a passage of scripture, but I do want to take just a couple of moments and, and just remind you of two things, uh, one that's going on right now and another that's coming up very soon. The first one is 21 days of prayer, and we're 14 days through that, so there's seven days of prayer left, and if you've been praying with us, thank you. We want to encourage you to continue to pray and fast over this last week of 21 days of prayer, just asking God to do a special work in and through our church. And I want to just encourage you, I know sometimes in seasons of prayer and fasting, it feels like, are we accomplishing anything? Is anything changing? Or is anything moving forward? And the reality is, is that often in seasons of prayer and fasting, the needle isn't moving during this time. We're actually planting seeds right now that later will produce fruit for God's kingdom. And so I just want to encourage you that even if you feel like, man, it doesn't feel like anything's happening, it doesn't feel like God is maybe showing up powerfully in my life right now, I want to just encourage you to invest the time in prayer and fasting and keep seeking the Lord. And for those of you who haven't been joining with us, I want to just encourage you to have seven days of prayer and fasting. Just start today and be with us through this next week. Let's pray together. Let's seek the Lord together. We want to see God do amazing things in and through and among us. And so I just want to encourage you to pray with us during this week. Again, we meet every morning, 6 a.m. We're done by 7. And then on Saturday morning next week, we're going to be meeting at 9 a.m. We'll be done by 10 but I want to invite every single one of you to join us next Saturday morning. It's going to be a time of corporate prayer. We'll be guiding you through ways you can pray for our church this spring. And I want to encourage you to be a part of that prayer event. And especially for those of you who may want to be prayed for we're going to have a special time in next Saturday's service where we're going to pray for God's healing touch. So if you find that there's something in your physical body, maybe it's your health, maybe it's your emotions, maybe it's depression or anxiety, maybe it's some kind of sickness or disease, but you would like the church body to gather around you and pray for you, we are going to do that next Saturday morning in that prayer service. And so I would invite you to be here with us 9 a.m. on Saturday morning. It's going to be a great time of prayer together. And there's one thing I want to let you know, uh, not that we're doing right now, but that's coming up very, very soon. Uh, we're in 21 days of prayer, but one of the things we're praying for is that our church would, would be more connected into our community. 
That in 2024, what would happen in our church is that we would turn more and more outward towards the community that God has placed us in and that we would be more intentional and consistent in our service, in meeting needs and connecting with people and presenting the gospel and making a difference for the kingdom of God. And so we've uh, organized a local outreach leadership team and they're starting to meet to begin to lay out a whole calendar of opportunities and events for service and ministry and ways that we can present the gospel to our community. And that's going to be happening. Uh, and you're going to hear a lot more about that as this year unfolds. But our very first outreach event is coming up on Saturday, February 10th. And it's not that far away. So I want to make sure you know about it. Saturday, February 10th, we're doing something called Parents Night Out. It's from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. Parents can drop their kids off. Grandparents can drop their grandkids off. You drop them off at four. We're going to feed them dinner. We're going to run them around, tire them out, give them all kinds of activities and exciting things to be a part of. It's going to be a great night for the kids, but we're hoping it's going to be a great night for the parents and the grandparents because you get to have a night out. You can go out on a date. You can go out and have a nice dinner together, or you can just go home and enjoy the peace and quiet. Whatever you want to do, just make sure you come back at 8 p.m. and pick them up. Now, I need to tell you, we have almost 90 kids already signed up for this event, and the registration has only been open for a week. And I need to tell you that most of those kids have no connection to our church. So now I need you all who do not have kids to do me a favor. I need you to sign up to help us. Okay, and I've been praying all week long for this moment that the convicting power of the Holy Spirit would rest upon your hearts right now. We need people to help us in the parking lot, greeting, checking kids in. We need food prep and food service. We need people to just hang out with the kids and have fun. We need people to make sure that everything stays safe and secure. There's lots of different jobs, lots of different opportunities. It's one night of your life. It's an opportunity to serve our community. So if you're a high school student, college student or any age after that, we need you to sign up because uh, we need your help. And I, I want to ask you to do that. And you can do that by scanning the QR code that's on the screen. We also have signs at the back with the QR code on them. And if you don't like messing with QR codes or, or any of that stuff, just take out that communication card that Pastor Jessica referred to. Make sure your name is on it. And then somewhere on that card, just write Parents Night Out. And we will contact you this week and help you find the right place for you to serve and help us as we minister to our community. Can you do that for me? Please, please, please. All right. I want to turn our attention now to the scriptures. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, but before we dig into Ephesians 4, I want to point out two verses of scripture in the chapter before the one we're going to study this morning. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, and these words are actually going to be on the screen, God's purpose in all of this was to use the church, and by church, Paul doesn't mean buildings, doesn't mean buildings, like we often refer to this as the church, but the reality is, is that this is just a building where the church meets. Paul's not talking about buildings. He's also not talking about services or events. 
We often sometimes say, I'm going to go to church or we're going to have church or, or this is going to be a good time of church. But the reality is, is that Paul's not talking about buildings. He's not talking about events. He's actually talking about the people of God. Because that's what the church is. People who are called out from the world around the person of Jesus to form a spiritual community known as the church, the body of Christ. And so Paul says, God's purpose in all this was to use the church, the people of God, the spiritual community to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Remember, we talked about them last week. All of the, the, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, all of those enemies that are coming against us, God wants to use the church, the people of God, to show how wise and how great and how awesome and how powerful he is. He says, this was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's the reality. You and I are called not just to be individual Christians who walk with Jesus. We, we don't want you just to be in a big group. We want you to be in a small group. But we also don't want you to think that you can be a Christian on your own. Because that would be unbiblical. That would be not the way God designed it. And I hear people say it all of the time that I love Jesus, I'm gonna follow Jesus, but I don't need the church. And, and politely, respectfully, can I just tell you, you're wrong. You need the church because God has a purpose, not just for your life, he has a purpose for our lives. That together we form this body of people, this spiritual community, and God wants to do something among us as a community of people that when the world looks at us and when the enemy looks at us, they would say, man, look at how wise God is. Look at how powerful he is. Look at how amazing he is. Look at how mighty and strong and miraculous his works are. And so this morning, what I want to do for the few minutes that we have together is I want to dig into Ephesians chapter four, because what Paul does is in Ephesians chapter three, he makes this statement, the one we just read, that God's purpose is to use the church to put his wisdom on display. And then in Ephesians chapter four, I think he talks to us about what we must become and what we must do, and how we must live as a spiritual community so that God's wisdom can be seen by all. And if we don't understand what we are called to as a church, if we don't understand what we're called to be and what we're called to do and what God's ultimate aim and purpose is for our lives, we will miss out on an opportunity to be a work of art that God shows off his power and his might through. So we're gonna study Ephesians chapter four this morning and we're gonna see what God might teach us. So if you have your Bibles, we're gonna look at the first 16 verses of Ephesians chapter four. This is what it says. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble Always be gentle, be patient with each other, make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. 
Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he's given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That's why the scriptures say when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to the people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. God, we thank you for your word today. I pray, God, right now that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and our minds not to hear my words today, but to hear your word, your truth. I pray that, God, your truth would speak to your church today and that we would grow up into all maturity so that your wisdom can be put on display for the world to see. And God, for what you do in these moments, we'll give you the thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a big idea that I think is wrapped up in Ephesians chapter four, and I'm gonna give it to you, and then we're gonna kind of unpack it during our time together this morning. And the big idea is this, that you and I are called to live a life of spiritual growth in spiritual community. We are called to live a life of spiritual growth in spiritual community. Community. We've been talking in this series about how God wants to do a work deep on the inside of us. Remember, when we started this series, we began in Ephesians chapter 3 with Paul's prayer for the church. And his prayer for the church is that we would grow up into maturity. And then he ends Ephesians chapter three by saying that that this is the one that we're praying to is able to do infinitely more than all that we could ask or think. So this prayer that he's been praying that we would grow up into the fullness of God can be answered because God is able to answer that prayer. He can do more than we can ask. 
And then he shifts right into Ephesians chapter four, verse one, with these words, therefore I beg you, live a life worthy of the calling that you've received because you've been called into this life by God. So understand Paul's train of thought here. The church needs to be a certain kind of church so that the wisdom of God can be put on display for all the world to see. That's what the church has to become so that God will be seen for all of his greatness and all of his glory and all of his majesty. And so Paul then says, so I'm praying that you would be strengthened in your inner being by the Holy Spirit so that Christ can dwell in your hearts through faith and you can be rooted and grounded in his love and you can grow up into the very fullness of God so that you look like God and you think like God and you talk like God and you go out and do the things that God would have you do because you are filled with the fullness of God. This is a life of spiritual growth. You can't do that on your own. You need the help of God. And thankfully, he's able to do infinitely more than you could ever ask or think. But it's up to us to live a life worthy of the calling. What's the calling that we've received? To live a life of spiritual growth. To grow and become everything that God wants us to be. To let the Holy Spirit do his work on the inside of us strengthening us, shaping us, forming us, growing in our relationship with Christ so that he dwells in our hearts by faith, knowing that we live our lives not out of legalism, not out of guilt, not out of some religious behavior, but we live our lives out of love because it's all about a relationship with God. And as we live that life, God just shapes and forms us as we grow up into the fullness of God. But I mentioned it just a moment ago. Some of us hear that kind of language and we think that the Christian journey is an individual one. And I wanna let you know that Christianity is personal, but it is never meant to be individual. God wants to do a work in your life, in the core of who you are. He wants to shape you as a person, but he doesn't want you to just be singled off by yourself as if the only thing he cares about is you. No, when you responded to God's call, he invited you into a spiritual community. And when Paul says, I urge you, I beg you, live a life worthy of the calling, he's not just referring back to spiritual growth. He's pointing forward to what he's getting ready to say next because all that he says after that is about the community. And there are three things that I think he talks about in these verses and I wanna go through them as quickly as I can this morning. The first thing that I think he calls us to as we're living a life worthy of the calling we've received we're called first to unity. Called to unity. The very first thing that Paul shifts into right after he talks about begging us to live a life worthy of the calling is, he says, so you gotta be humble. You gotta be gentle. You gotta be patient. One translation goes on to say, you have to bear with one another in love. Let me just tell you what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying, if you're coming into this community and you're thinking it's about you, that's pride, you're getting it wrong. You must be humble in community. 
Humility is not about thinking less of yourself. It's not about, it's not about thinking you're bad and you're horrible and you're not worth anything. That's not humility. Those are lies from the enemy. Humility isn't thinking less about yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. Some of you will get that later. It's not, about, it's not about thinking poorly of yourself. It's just about spending less time and energy thinking about yourself. Because when you come into community, what we're called to is humility. And humility means looking to others' interest as more important than your own. And if we are a community that's committed to unity, we have to be humble. If we're all thinking about others' needs, everybody's needs are going to be met. And no one among us will be thinking it's all about me. It'll be about us. Because we're the people of God living and dwelling together in unity. Paul says, you gotta be gentle. You ever run into somebody and the first thought you have is sandpaper? Because they're abrasive and they're not soft to the touch. You get close to them and you think, ow, that hurts. I don't want to be around that person anymore. Paul calls us to let the Holy Spirit just sand off all those rough edges in our life. So that when people get close to us, what they experience is a gentleness, a welcoming nature about who we are. It calls us to be patient. This is a big one. We are an impatient people. And we have to learn to be patient. And guess what? Patience is a fruit of the spirit. So if you find yourself lacking patience, you might need to yield more to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we just think, ah, I'm impatient, but that's just the way I am. And I wanna, I wanna challenge that thinking because the fruit of the Spirit is patience. And if we are yielded and walking with the Spirit, that will be produced in our lives. And I'm not just somebody who's telling you that you should be patient. I'm, I'm also a client. For many years in my life, I just said, well, that's how God made me. I'm just saying, patient, I want it done yesterday. And that's just the way I am. But the reality is, is that the Holy Spirit has got to keep shaping and forming me to be more and more patient. You know why? Because the life of the community depends on it. Because some of you get on my nerves. <laughs> just like... I get on some of your nerves. And we have to be patient with one another. And then I love the last thing that Paul says, bear with one another in love. This basically is a phrase which literally means when you see another human being and you see all of their faults and all of their shortcomings and idiosyncrasies and weird quirks and all the things that annoy you and get on your nerves and rub you the wrong way, Paul says even when you see all of that, acknowledge it for what it is and then lovingly accept them anyway, warts and all. We don't get to say inside of the community of God that you don't fit here. 
We don't get to say, you're annoying, just go away. No, that's not what the church is. The church is a loving community. We're trying to bring people together, never divide people and tear people apart. And listen, as we go into this election year, I mean, the fun's already started, right? Our culture is gonna be all about division, all about grouping people up, all about dividing and parsing out the stats and, and all of the, the polls and all of those things. And I wanna just call us as a church to put all of that behind us and, and not allow that to bring any kind of division to this body of people. Because I think if we could be unified in an election year, in what could be one of the most divisive election years our country has ever seen, if we can be unified as the church in the middle of that, the only thing I think is that it puts God's wisdom on display. The world will say, I don't know what it is about those people, but man, they must have a God who is awful powerful to make them unified in the midst of that. Listen, at the end of all of this, Paul says, you gotta make every effort. Unity requires work. It doesn't just naturally happen because guess what? We're all human beings and we're all different. Different backgrounds. We have different things we like, different things we don't like. We have different perspectives and philosophies, different education levels, different economics. All of those things can separate us if we allow them. But if we could work together to say the community matters enough to be humble and gentle and patient and to bear with one another in love and let God bring us together and unify us as a body. It puts his wisdom on display for the world to see. So there are a couple possible next steps you might wanna take here. One is, I think some of you need to bridge the divide with people that you are, you've pulled away from. There may be people in your life that they've done something to you or you did something to them and it pulled the relationship apart or maybe, maybe it didn't pull it completely apart, but it's strained and the weight of those offenses is weighing down on it. I wanna just invite you as a child of God and part of his community to bridge the divide. Even if, even if it's not your fault, be, be the bridge builder. Go and reconcile to that person. Go and do what you can to make amends and bring that relationship back together because we've got to make every effort to be unified. Bridge the divide. And then some of you maybe need to join a small group. Because I... I know, I know how, how this logic goes for some of you because, listen, if you don't know me, my name is Chris. I'm an extreme introvert. I was telling someone in our church last week and I met with them that I could literally spend a whole week, nay, a whole month by myself. Just give me some books, some good coffee, some music, some hockey games to watch. It's just, it would just be awesome. Okay, so I, I get it, I get it. 
to go into a small group, open up, share your stuff, pray with people, let them know how they can pray for you, ask questions, admit you don't know something. I get all of that, it's scary. You don't wanna do it, you'd rather just be alone. But I'm telling you, you have to move towards community. You need the church. And the church needs you. So I wanna just challenge you. If you think, yeah, small groups, they're not for me. I'm gonna skip that. I wanna just challenge you, move towards community and join a small group. Signups are open. You're gonna hear even more about small groups next week, but I wanna encourage you, get in a small group. The big group's great. We want you here. We think there's value in worshiping the Lord together and celebrating in a group like this. But we also believe that you need to be in a smaller group for conversation and fellowship. We need to pursue unity if we're gonna be the church God's calling us to be. Second thing that Paul talks about in this passage is ministry. Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 and 12, he says, Christ gave these gifts to the church. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, and their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work so that the church can be built up. I wanna kind of zero in on that phrase, his work. See, the people of God, the church, is called to do his work. This, this phrase, his work, is literally a, a phrase in the original Greek that means works of service or works of ministry. And as the people of God, we are all called to do those works. I want to just point out a misconception that has existed, particularly in the North American church over recent decades. And it is this, that God gives the gifts that he's given to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, those who would lead and, and are given the responsibility to equip and guide and direct the church. The misconception is that Christ gave these gifts to the church to do the ministry. Now, you've never said this to me, but some people have. And I quote directly what I've heard multiple times in 25 years of ministry. That's what we pay you for. And I always correct them. No, you pay me to make sure you're ready to do the ministry that God has called you to. See, a biblical model of the church is that Christ gives leaders and he gives them gifts and abilities to equip God's people to do works of ministry. You say, what are works of ministry? I'll give you a definition. Any act or service done by the people of God for the purpose of expanding the reach of the church into society or helping the church function effectively so it can grow. I think there are two kinds of ministry that are wrapped up in this definition. The first one is what I call a community contribution. See, you and I, as part of a local church body, we have a contribution that we can make to this community. And I think we should all contribute something to this community. Many hands make the work light. Can I remind you of Parents' Night Out? 
Many hands make the work light. Here's the thing. There's lots of things that need to be done to make church happen. On a day like today, the stuff that we do during the week as a gathered body, there's things that need to happen. Sidewalks have to be shoveled. Parking lots have to be plowed. Lights have to be turned on. Carpets vacuumed. Envelopes put in the back of the pews. Bulletins stuffed. Offerings counted. There's people that need to serve in the parking lot to help us find our way into the building. There are people who need to greet at the doors. There's ushers who need to serve us and a security team that makes sure everything is safe and secure and running like it should. There are small group leaders who gather us together and, and coach us up in this life of faith. There are youth sponsors and kids workers and people who work at check-in and people who, who make sure that things are happening the way they're supposed to happen. There's people up in a booth right now making sure this microphone is on and that the slides are on the screen. There's a worship team and a choir. There's lots of things that contribute to the life of the church and you ought to do something to help us function effectively. Because when we all do our part, we all grow. You grow from the contribution. We grow from your contribution. And together we are built up. But let me remind you, it's not all about the church. There's a world that we're called to reach. Which means not only do we give a community contribution, but we give a missional contribution. And here's another misconception that we've formed in our minds in the North American church. It is that ministry happens when we're gathered. And I would say to you, that's partially correct. Ministry does happen when we're gathered, but ministry should also be happening when we're scattered. So we gather for just a few hours a week and in this service and in small groups. And when we're together, we should contribute to one another so that we grow up into maturity. But when we scatter, when we dismiss and we go our separate ways, Monday through Saturday is not some other thing. You're still the church. Because the church isn't a building and it's not an event. It doesn't happen at a certain time. You are the church, the people of God. And when you scatter across our community into every domain of society, you are being commissioned in those moments to go and serve there, to take the goodness of God into those places, to help our community thrive, to help people around you become everything God wants them to be, to pray for doors to open for you as you use your time and your talent in those places to do good works that the doors would open, you'd have an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and contribute by making disciples out there and extending the reach of the church. See, we should contribute to one another, yes, and that's often what we think of when we think of ministry, but when you leave here, ministry continues. Service ends, but church doesn't. You are the church. And you gotta go and you gotta be the church out there. And yes, that means as a public school teacher, you're the church in that place, you represent us there. 
When you're leading your business, you go into that business and you lead it well as if Jesus were leading your business so that people see his light through you. And if you're a worker on the factory line, you go into that factory line and you let the light of Jesus shine through you as you work with excellence and diligence in that place. As a stay-at-home mom, you parent your kids well. And as you connect to other parents, you minister to them in those moments. And wherever you go, you let the good deeds that God has called you to do shine through you so that they can see your good deeds and come to glorify your Father who is in heaven. You see, the church is called to be this movement of God that's always reaching out, extending into new places. And when we leave here Monday through Saturday, we have to redeem those moments to extend the reach of God's kingdom out into the world. And as we do that, people will join the spiritual community of the church. They'll be called out just like you are. And when they get here, because we're contributing to one another, they get to grow up. And then the church keeps reaching out and bringing more people in and growing up and out and up and out and up and over and over and over again, the church begins to claim ground for the kingdom of God and we become everything that God wants us to be and his wisdom is put on display. Last word that Paul gives us, I think, in this passage, and I gotta hurry. It's maturity. I wanna just read a couple of verses of scripture from Ephesians chapter four. He says, this will continue till we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. And we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we're gonna speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. There are three things I think Paul is saying about maturity. I think he's saying we need to have right character. We need to have right character. He's saying that when the church is doing what it's supposed to do, we will actually grow to become like Christ in every way. One of my favorite definitions of spiritual growth is that we would learn to live our very lives as if Christ were living them in our place. So that when you walk into your environment, you are presenting to that environment the very character and nature of Jesus because you've been transformed to be like him. I think Paul is saying maturity means growing to right character, letting God transform you. Secondly, I think he's calling us in this, these verses to right relationships, unity in the faith, being able to speak the truth in love. He's not saying hold back on the truth so that we all get along. He's not saying that. He's saying, no, no, speak the truth, but do it in love. Do it because you love that brother or sister, not because you're trying to get them. Speak the truth in love so that they can be restored and built up and let's come together in unity. Let's love one another well so that we reflect what, what the church is called to be, that they will know that we are his followers by the love that we have for each other. Right character, right relationships, and then thirdly, right doctrine. 
I think one of the things that we've seen in recent years is just the fact that in spite of having more discipleship curriculum at our disposal than any other generation before us, the church did not have a commitment to right doctrine. You've seen it. You've seen churches that have just gone astray. They've just decided that they're going to teach something other than what we know to be the truth of God's word. And they've begun to twist things and and say things in ways that, that our itching ears want to hear them. But Paul says that that a, a mature church is one that doesn't get tossed back and forth by every wind of teaching. You're not easily tricked. No, you're firmly planted in the doctrine of God, the truth of God, the word of God. You see, I, I wanna call us today again to be people of the scriptures. Man, get in the word of God. Whatever you think the craziness of our world has been like these last couple of years, I'm just telling you, fasten your seatbelt. When I read the Bible, I don't read the Bible in a way that says at the end of times, everything's gonna get great. I read a Bible that says at the end of times, the world is gonna see an increase of wickedness that even people who claim the name of Jesus will have a form of godliness, but they'll deny the power thereof. And they'll turn their back on everything that is true in the word of God. So if you think it's been crazy the last couple of years, welcome to the new reality. I'm calling you to be a different kind of Christian, not for this moment, but for where the world is headed over the next decade that you would be equipped and prepared and ready to stand, that you wouldn't be easily tricked, tossed back and forth, but you'd be firmly planted in the word of God. And you can't be that kind of person if you don't read the scriptures. So I'm challenging you again to pick up that one-year Bible and begin to read with us. And if you already have a reading plan, just stay with the one you got. But if you don't have one, Use the one-year Bible and dig in. If you got five minutes, read the Psalm and the Proverb and move on with your day. If you've got 10 minutes, read the Gospel, the Psalm and the Proverb. If you've got 15 minutes, read all of the readings for that day and ask God to show you one thing that you need to know as you go into your day and let the Word of God begin to shape you and form you. We must be people of the Word. We need to be people of right doctrine. So this morning, as we close our time, I just want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. And just for a moment, I want you to reflect on where you're at. We've covered a lot of ground today, a lot of ground. But as you're quiet this morning, reflecting right now, heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. I wonder how many of you would say, you know what, I I need God to do a fresh work in my character. There are things in my life that if if people knew about them, they would obviously know that those things are not in line with God's plan for my life. And I need God to do a new work of shaping my character. If that's you this morning, I'd like you just to slip your hand up because I wanna just acknowledge that God's working in your heart and life right now. I see that hand. 
Anybody else? I see your hand. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I see those hands. All right, you can put your hands down. How many of you would say this morning, for me, it's not maybe about my character. It's about relationships, man. There's somebody I've got to go back and I've got to make amends with. I've got to reconcile. I've got to ask for forgiveness. If that's you this morning and God's speaking to you about your relationships, would you just raise your hand? Just raise it up high. Yeah. Hands going up all over the room. hands down. How many of you would say, I need God to teach me something from his word. I've not been as committed to reading the scriptures as I ought to be. And I want to make a new commitment today to read the scriptures and let God speak to me. If that's you, just raise your hand. Hands going up all over the room. All right, hands down. Last one, last one. And then I'm going to pray for you. How many of you in this room right now would say, yeah, yeah, all of that's important and it matters, but, but I have never made a decision to follow Jesus. I've never, I've never in my life made a commitment to say, I want to accept the offer that he has made possible, the offer that my sins could be forgiven, that I could become a child of God, that my life could be changed, and that I could begin a journey of becoming who God wants me to be. And this morning, on this day, the 21st day of January in the year 2024, I want to make a commitment to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. And if that's you this morning, I want you to put your hand up right now. Just raise up your hand and let me know that today's the day I'm making that commitment. I see a hand right here. Anybody else? Anybody else? I see your hand. Anyone else? For those of you who raised your hand or maybe you couldn't find the courage to raise your hand, but that really is your heart this morning, I just want you to pray this prayer with me. God, thank you for sending Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross and being raised on the third day. Thank you for making salvation and forgiveness possible. Right now, in this moment, I am renouncing the life that I've lived up to this moment. And I'm giving my life fully to you. I'm putting my faith and my trust in you, Jesus. I'm asking you to forgive my sins. I'm asking you to change my life. I'm asking you to give me a brand new beginning. And Jesus, I'm asking you to walk with me from this moment forward into everything that you have for me. Now just take a moment and thank him that he has saved your soul. He has forgiven your sins. He has made you a brand new creation and you have now been given the right to be called a child of God. And God, for all of us in this room, you're doing a work in our hearts today. You're calling us to take next steps of faith and we wanna do that today. So for people who have said, God, do a work in my character, would you pour out a transforming work of your spirit on our lives? For those who need to restore relationships, would you give us courage to go to those people to ask for forgiveness or to extend forgiveness? And would you supernaturally allow relationships to be reconciled and healed and restored in Jesus' name? 
And God, tomorrow morning when we wake up and we're tempted to forget that we made a commitment to read the word of God, would you call us tomorrow morning to open the scriptures? And would you speak to us? And would you root our lives in your truth? God, do your work among us. Change us, shape us, and form us, we pray. And for everything that you do, God, we're gonna give you the thanks and the praise. We pray it this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Congregation, let's celebrate what God is doing among us.